Greetings and salutations, Darklings. We are Chell and Tori, and welcome to Episode 6 of Vampires Ruined My Life. As long as there have been stories about monsters and creatures that go bump in the night, there have been stories about heroes who fight those monsters. Vampires are no exception. Tonight, we're going to discuss the subject of vampire slayers. I realize most of us here are fanged fiends who are unapologetically hashtag team vampire, but even we must admit sometimes vampires go too far and must be stopped. Vampire slayers or hunters come in a lot of varieties. Vampires are creatures who live a long time and feed on the living. They're bound to make enemies. Because there are so many, we've broken them up into categories. Some slayers may fit into multiple categories, so we've just put them where we feel they fit best. Also, we will probably do whole episodes about a lot of the slayers featured here, so please consider this just a basic overview of some notable vampire slayers. Or if you're an immortal in fear of being hunted, your warning. <laughs> nice. So just a brief history of vampire slayers or hunters. As we discussed in our last episode, people who believed a vampire was responsible for waves of tuberculosis outbreaks in their villages would often exhume the bodies of others who died of the illness and look for signs of vampirism in order to destroy the source of the problem. Their solutions often involve turning the corpse over, beheading and or burning the body, and sometimes consuming the ashes to cure the ill. Ew. <laughs> I know. I just, I, I mean, not just the, the, the texture of that just gives me like real pause. The heebie-jeebies, yeah, right? Yeah, I just try yeah. and picture like no matter what you mix it with, it's just, oh, it's going to stick it's like, in your mm, throat. It's not going to be good. Drink up, Mabel cures what ails, yeah. And it doesn't even work, so it's pointless. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but outbreaks of illnesses were not the only catalyst for people to hunt the undead. In the late 1700s, Benedictine monk and biblical scholar Antoine Augustin Calmet began compiling and writing various reports of vampirism and supernatural occurrences in Eastern Europe. In 1747, he published these accounts in a two-volume set titled Dissertations Upon the Apparitions of Angels, Demons, Ghosts, and Concerning the Vampires of Hungary, Bohemia, Moravia, and Silesia. In the study's opening, Calmet acknowledges that some may see the study of the supernatural as absurd. But many of the accounts, particularly of vampirism, were too detailed and consistent not to warrant further investigation. One of the most compelling cases that Calme wrote about came from an army surgeon, Johann Fluckinger, who described the case of soldier and farmer Arnold Paul. He had allegedly been attacked by a vampire in a Serbian village, and to cure himself of vampirism, he ate the dirt from the vampire's grave and smeared himself in the creature's blood. Uh, I guess he slayed the vampire after it attacked him. I, yeah. Um, somehow to get its blood or track down its glaive. Details are very unclear on how this all uh, Maybe he visited during the daytime? Yeah, maybe like exhumed the body or something. Mm. I'm not entirely sure how that worked. But regardless, Arnold returned to his farm only to die not long after in a wagon accident. Wah wah. Yeah, sucks. Bad timing. The villagers suspected that he might be a vampire due to the previous attack and therefore opened his grave to discover that his body was intact and his hair and nails had grown longer after death and there was fresh blood in the coffin. Oh, definitely sounds Ooh. vampiric. He's a vampire. Quick, burn him. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what they were thinking. Now, savvy listeners will be saying to themselves, all of that is explainable. Corpses often shrink after death as the body loses fluids and dries out, making hair and nails appear longer. Also, coffins were often jostled around while moving them to the grave, which meant that sometimes blood from the corpse would get on the lid or the sides of the coffin. And corpses may remain, quote unquote, fresh looking due to preservation by the cold. Or in cold, damp places such as Eastern Europe, the body's fatty acids turn into a waxy soap-like compound which covers the corpse and prevents putrefaction in a process known as saponification, which also leaves the corpse flexible instead of rigid. But at the time, these were all considered signs of vampirism. Of course. So villagers thus drove a stake through his heart, whereby he gave an audible groan and bled copiously. 
which i mean if the corpse groaned obviously it was a real vampire right it made noise when they killed it i mean that's that's a sign of something living sounds sounds legit it sounds legit yeah but of course that's explainable too because air enclosed in the thoracic cavity can be forced out when the body is struck and so it might produce a groan like sound as air passed through the throat that's something that can happen so dead man burps yes dead yeah. man burps dead gotcha man burps. gotcha Calmay's collection of vampire accounts actually helped inspire Bram Stoker, as well as other authors who helped create the genre of vampire literature. And he also tells the stories of other real vampire hunters, though these were not people who sought out creatures of the night in castles, but instead they were just desperate folks trying to get to the bottom of whatever was plaguing their villages and towns, digging up corpses in hopes of finding and killing a monster. Fun fact, when I was a kid, I went on a field trip to the Mercer Museum in Pennsylvania, where I got to see their newly acquired 19th century vampire killing kit. Inside of it is a pistol, flash powder, and silver bullets, a mold for making silver bullets, a box of pulverized flowers of garlic, and a crucifix-shaped wooden stake. Also, a glass syringe with a large bore needle and two vials of like a crystallized serum created by Professor Ernst Bloomberg. I mean, it's a big fat fake, but it is super fun to weave into the vampire mythos. I think that this is the precise moment vampires became a thing for me. And we'll post a photo of this exact kit on our Instagram. That's so cool. If I had seen that in a museum when I was a kid, I would have been convinced vampires were real. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I had probably already thought vampires were real. And that just the fact that like something like that existed in a museum and a museum is supposed to be like this place mm -hmm. of like learning and artifacts and stuff. I think that absolutely just added credence to like my little logical mind well, and of just, like, oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it feels very much like, oh. There were vampire hunters, which means vampires exist, you know? Exactly. I mean, when two I was plus two equals four, man. When I was a little kid, I saw the Ecto one mm. at a gas station. And I mean, I watched the Ghostbusters cartoon, hadn't seen the movie, was too young. But I, I believe the cartoon was based on real people. Like I thought they were real and I wanted to be a Ghostbuster. And I'd seen the car. So obviously they exist. Obviously like, they exist. Come on. <laughs> yeah. It also is like that thing where like in any kind of paranormal or supernatural world, like everyone thinks this is just fake, ha ha ha, but then someone's going to break that kid out and use it to save the world from vampires at some point. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, super cool. That's very cool. Well, of course, you know, me and my little dark mind, I was like, ooh, vampires are real. Must find them. Must become one of I, them. <laughs> I know. That's I, I've never been like, let's go hunt the vampires, except to no. hunt them down and like hang out with them. I want to be your friend. Yeah. Right. And then possibly be a vampire. So, you know, we can work that out later. I don't want to rush into anything, but right. right, right. <laughs> I don't want to be that presumptuous, but maybe we can hang out for a bit and just chill. Yeah. <laughs> interview one another make sure that you know we get along yeah hang out for a while make sure that that's you know not gonna turn into <laughs> a 200 year rivalry right <laughs> you probably have enough of those if you're a vampire <laughs> probably speaking of which so we're gonna kick off our categories with slayers who are chosen mm. and it's all about destiny man yeah destiny is a real bitch mm. And I think the number one vampire slayer in this category is the obvious, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. Buffy is one of many girls born to be a slayer. When a slayer dies, another is activated. Buffy was a typical high school girl who liked cheerleading and hanging out with her friends and suddenly has to hunt vampires and patrol cemeteries at night with the guidance and instruction of her watcher. And in the show... This is Giles. Mm -hmm. Her vampire allies include Angel, a vampire who has a soul and wants to help Buffy and kill evil vampires. They have an instant attraction and become an item. Unfortunately, in season two, Angel loses his soul through sexy times. Yep. And, <laughs> and becomes evil. Sorry, I don't know. it's not funny. It's it's just funny that like, of course, it, it is was funny by a dude, and it's like, oh, that's fucking hilarious. Like, how can you not watch that and go, 
wait a minute, what is this show trying to tell me? I mean, when I was a teenager, I didn't think much of it, but now I think, oh, dudes are gross and women having power over their own sexuality has to lead to consequences. Yeah, exactly. So in season two, Angel loses his soul and becomes evil. Someone so that flips the evil switch on. Yeah, he, he becomes pussy Angelus, flips the evil, the evil switch. <laughs> The evil version of Angel, Angelus, and yeah. You know, oh my god! He tries god. to torture and kill the Scooby Gang, which is super fun. Yeah. Well, he returns from a hell dimension in season three. His soul restored. Later, he gets his own spinoff where he and the others from Sunnydale help the helpless and also fight monsters. Later, Spike becomes an ally after he gets a chip in his head that restricts him from hurting people. <laughs> and I love both versions of spike yeah well and he also helps her in season two when angel's evil in part because like he doesn't want well, he hates angel he, yeah well he doesn't want the world to end because he likes living in it and mm-hmm. also he hates angel and angel's kind of getting along with drew better and so he's like uh buffy let me help you out let's let's fix this problem. <laughs> he's got my wife yeah. <laughs> yeah not not a good time for spike so he kind of mm-hmm. becomes an ally sort of he's one of those like tenuous allies and then eventually becomes an actual ally later yeah he's a bad good guy yeah which i love that's one of my favorite tropes is when the bad guy helps the heroes i always think that's really fun and mm-hmm. they kind of become like tenuous friends and you're like they don't really want to be friends because they kind of hate each other but they're always working together and so they kind of start to let anyway i always think that's really fun why don't you tell us how you really feel <laughs> well gee tori are you a fan of buffy the vampire slayer yes of buffy and spike as a couple <laughs> no Oh no, 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 no. But yeah, no, I do. I lo- I do like their dynamic a lot. And yes, yeah, I, I am do a fan as well. of Buffy. I just rewatched <laughs> it recently this year. And actually it was the first time I'd ever seen the final season. Did not like the final season, but we will talk about that when we talk about Buffy, which I'm sure we will. To be continued. Yeah. And at the end of season one, Buffy dies for exactly one minute. And another slayer, Kendra, is activated and later sent to Sunnydale to fight vampires. When she dies, Faith is activated. In season seven, someone is killing off potential slayers, so Buffy takes all of them in and trains them to fight before they're activated. Mm-hmm. So then there's just a bunch of potential slayers fighting vampires, which actually is cool. That part is not bad. I like that part. Yeah, yeah. that is one of the parts I enjoy about the last season. There aren't many of those, mm-hmm. but again, we'll get into that later. Right. <laughs> so that's a very, very, very brief description of a property where a slayer is chosen and its destiny Another type within this category is lineage. And we have, for our example, is Dr. Von Gooswing from Count Ducula. He comes from a long line of vampire hunters, though he is much more clumsy and scatterbrained than his forebears. He's a very bumbling inventor and mad scientist whose inventions usually backfire on him. He's frequently trying to kill Count Ducula, despite the fact that this incarnation of Ducula is a vegetarian who doesn't even want to be a vampire in the first place. Like, he just can't get it through his bird brain that Ducula is of absolutely no threat to anybody. Right. Except his own ego. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And I think... Goosewing and Igor mostly are are like the like the legit arch enemies because Igor knows what's going on, but Duckula is just kind of like, why is this dude like trying to <laughs> like, like Duckula is in his own fucking like headspace. That's why. I love him. <laughs> but he, Igor has the memory of all of the uh, the von Goosewings. Oh, so he kind of knows the whole deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like he really knows. Yeah. So then we have vengeful slayers. These are slayers whose loved ones were killed by vampires or who have been wronged by vampires in some way and are now hunting them down out of vengeance. So first is Frank Collins from the Morganville Vampires. Morganville Vampires is a YA series that I believe, oh, I should have looked up how many books it is. It's a lot. It's like 11 or 14 or something like that. It was written by Rachel Kane, who was incredibly talented and prolific. She did pass away from cancer in 2020, unfortunately. And she was just such an incredible human being. And it's such a bummer. And Morganville, if you haven't read it, like it kind of seems weird at first because it's like this town in Texas that was founded by like a vampire for vampires to live in Texas, which seems like a weird place for them to be. But I mean, it's kind of explained as the series goes on why that happened. And it's just really fun series. The characters are really fun. I highly recommend it if you're looking for something to get into because there's a lot of it and you can just read them one after another and it's just really amazing. So 
highly recommend. But in this series, Frank Collins is a man who lived in Morganville, which is this vampire-founded town in Texas, with his two children and his wife. And anyone who lives in Morganville kind of knows about the vampires because it's impossible not to. And after this house fire that killed his daughter, Frank decided to move his family out of Morganville. But there's this magical barrier around the town that makes it so when you leave, you pretty much forget everything that was odd about it. So you forget about the vampires and all that stuff. However, Frank's wife began to remember, and so she was slaughtered by vampires to keep her from revealing their secrets. So Frank conscripts a group of murderous bikers to join him as vampire hunters, <laughs> and he goes back to Morganville bent on what? revenge. Yeah. Yes, that sounds amazing. Yeah. So vampires in this world are pretty standard vampires. They can't tolerate sunlight. They have fangs. They must drink human blood. Their eyes may go pale or flare red when they're angry or feeding. And they can be killed by pretty much the usual things. Steak, sunlight, long exposure to silver. I think in this world, in this, I looked it up because I spent a while since I read it now. I totally forgot. But I think it's one where like steaks will stun them. But if they're in there long enough, it will kill them or something like that. I have a question. Mm -hmm. How did the vampires know that his wife was starting to remember if they moved away? I'm not entirely sure, but I know. Well, so Shane, the son goes back to Morganville, but I also think that they keep tabs on people who leave oh, and I see. kind okay. of make sure that they're not like spreading stuff. And I think that's how that happened. And I don't okay. remember exactly in the timeline when Shane goes back. I think it's, I mean, he goes, he's back kind of at the beginning when Claire gets there. But I don't remember exactly how that worked because <laughs> it's been a really long time since I've read it. I really need to reread it. It's really fun. It's a fun series. It's one of those worlds that you just want to like write fan fiction about because it's just such a fun world to be in, which mm. I don't know. I think it's a fun place. So Frank's son Shane is friends with Michael Glass, who in the series becomes a vampire. And Frank tries and fails to have Michael killed because he's a vampire hanging out with his son. And eventually Frank gets turned into a vampire by an elder vampire in town, kind of as like, a cruel thing because like you're hunting these vampires i'm gonna make you one of us and he begins to hate himself because this was his greatest fear there's yeah. some other stuff that happens to frank as the series progresses that i'm not even going to get into or explain because it's kind of weird and it's hard to explain if you just haven't read it but yeah that's pretty much frank's story is that he comes into this vampire town with his biker gang and tries to hunt vampires down including one who's friends with his son And then another vengeful hunter is from the Vampire Diaries, which is previously mentioned. I think Chell and I have only seen a couple episodes between us. I don't think we've mm -hmm. either of us have seen very much of it, mm -mm. but it's Alaric Saltzman. I, I've mostly seen the two hour video essay by Jenny. Oh, Jenny Nicholson. Sorry, Jenny Nicholson. I haven't watched that. I love her videos. It's just, it's so it's long. So and so it's I so just good. haven't. Had I watched it and I piecemealed it. It's so good. Yeah, I'll it's have to very, watch it because she's, she's very funny. Um, yes. But yeah, I have not watched her thing yet. Mm -hmm. But I know, I know she's had a lot of trouble with like copyright issues because I think CW keeps like slagging her copyright things trying to, which is, uh, whole which is ridiculous issue, yeah. because she's a video essayist and it's a parody. Well, and you just, yeah, people are stupid anyway. YouTube's whole setup is a hot mess, and that's not the topic of this podcast, so we're not going to get no. into it. But anyway, a vampire hunter on that show, and there are lots of vampire hunters on that show, as I understand it, because it is a long show that has lots of characters. The one that seemed to come up the most was Alaric Saltzman. And basically, Alaric Saltzman's wife was killed, and he became a vampire hunter to avenge her death. Again, fridging the woman, that's very typical. I was just about to say that. I go, wow, fridging the woman is like pretty common in vampire hunters it is well because you know oh, i don't know it just is i want more lady vampire hunters avenging their husband <laughs> right well because so what i I'm, I'm just saying like i'm kind of surprised because these are lady authors too well yeah and to be fair like it's out of context in both cases like morganville has oh, okay. a lot of female okay. characters obviously i don't know vampire diaries i'm assuming there are a lot of female characters there are a lot of women um, there are a lot and there probably are series. like i said this show has a lot of vampire hunters this is just the one who stood out to me when i was like looking sure. into it but basically the hunt for the vampire who killed his wife leads Alaric to mystic falls and it's actually revealed that the vampire who killed her was of course damon salvatore who else? Ooh. Which all I know about Damon is that he has very nice cheekbones. And that's pretty much it. 
he apparently finds Damon and Alaric is killed, but then he's revived somehow. This happens more than once, apparently. Honestly, Vampire Diaries sounds like supernatural in terms of its soap opera-ness, where people just Wait. like die and come back constantly. So that's fine. <laughs> it's just funny. This character died, but then they're back. Vampires in Vampire Diaries pretty much die in all the normal ways. You can cut off their head and that will kill them instantly, as will removing their heart. They're extremely flammable and fire will kill them. <laughs> sunlight they're they're more flammable than your average uh humanoid well i think you know so this is the thing i've noticed in vampire media is that vampires do tend to be more flammable than people and i don't yeah. know if it's because they're dead and so they don't have as much liquid in their body i don't know what it is or the sun can just kill them but for whatever reason vampires tend to be more flammable than like a human because obviously fire is a human weakness too but it will it will kill a vampire pretty quick Mm, mm, true. And that is true in vampire diaries as well and sunlight will hurt them apparently prolonged exposure will kill them again this is the regular vampires i know that vampire diaries has a separate tier of vampires that are like special or i don't know exactly how that works but i know that that some of the things that apply to the normal vampires in the series do not apply to those people so I'm, yeah if you're a vampire diaries fan you're probably just cringing like crazy right now and i, I completely apologize because Again, I don't really know this very well. Mm -mm. Staking these vampires through the heart will cause their bodies to desiccate, but they can come back. And vampires in this world also have a weakness to vervain, which is apparently some kind of herb that can make them feverish and weaken them and hinder their healing abilities. Yeah, it is very much like the uh, kryptonite. Okay, that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, this thing, this thing. I don't know if that's like an actual herb. Yeah, I don't know if it is either. But in this world, it's definitely anathema to vampires. And apparently as a vampire hunter, Alaric actually designed several weapons, which include vervain tranquilizers. So that. And apparently in this world, Alaric also designed several weapons to fight vampires, which include vervain tranquilizers and arm vest stakes. So clearly he's using vervain against them. His vampire allies actually include Damon for some reason, which again, I don't know how that worked, but if Dean can work with Crowley on Supernatural, I'm sure there's reasons why Damon and Alaric get along. And Alaric also apparently teaches Elena a lot about how to protect herself from vampires. So maybe that's why he's the one who comes up a lot as like the vampire hunter. And then, yeah, I don't really know. Maybe Damon <laughs> had his, his, his evil switch was on probably when he like killed Maybe. And so now he's back to Nas. <laughs> and, and then like the, yeah. And then the evil switch is now off and that so, allows him to be like his, his buddy. Yeah. So that's, that's Alaric Saltzman. He's obviously a big vampire hunter in that world. If you're into the vampire diaries and you feel like you're explaining it to me sometime, feel free to hit me up. I'd be curious. Cause there's a lot about it. I was reading about it. And I'm like, again, I probably should watch Jenny Nicholson's video, but in the meantime, I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. So Apologies to fans of that, but I wanted to mention him because he is one of those vengeful vampire hunters. Mm -hmm. And then we have Liam O'Neill in Forever Night. And I actually found a copy of this episode, so I actually watched the whole thing right before this, which I'm very excited about because I hadn't seen Forever Night in years. That show is ridiculous. Yeah, I really want to watch it for this. Oh, we will. We will. It's it's a procedural like just a normal procedural with like a cop who happens to be a vampire but then there's all this vampire stuff and there's this vampire bar and like this vampire history and like his flashbacks and like it's so over the top I love it so much <laughs> so in this episode of forever night which is called bad blood there's a man named Liam O'Neill and he's an investigator from Ireland who arrives to help investigate a series of murders that's similar to a set that happened in 1971 among others. So there were actually like sets of murders every 20 years or so going back like with four or five victims. It actually turns out that the original set was Jack the Ripper. It gets kind of convoluted. Anyway, it turns out that O'Neill was once left half drained by LaCroix, but he never drank vampire blood, which would have turned him into a full vampire. So he's this non-vampire immortal who can take some sun, but not a lot. And he doesn't need to drink blood, and he isn't bothered by crucifixes. So now he hunts vampires to get revenge for himself and his dead family, who presumably LaCroix also murdered, although that is not actually mentioned. And O'Neill seems to know that Nick is a vampire when he first arrived and doesn't trust him. But at the end of the episode, Nick saves him from a burning car, and O'Neill thanks him and promises to keep his secret. So even though O'Neill is hell-bent on killing vampires... He realizes that Nick is actually one of the good guys and is not a threat. 
at least for now. So we next have vampires who slay vampires. If one were to poke around the TV tropes, you would find a few types of vampires in this category. Dompiers, friendly neighborhood vampire, and vampire detectives. Takes one to kill one and hunter of his own kind would be the parent tropes. Often this vampire hunter has a quest. Usually self-imposed, but they can be officially charged either by destiny or a governing body as well. Mm -hmm. So as I mentioned in our previous episode, in Vampire Academy, the Dompiers are half vampires and they're guardians whose sole job is to protect the good vampires, the Maroi vampires, largely from the undead evil Strigoi vampires. And they actually go to the same school as the Maroi, but as they get older, their classes diverge and they start taking physical fighting classes and classes where they learn how to like stake vampires and work as bodyguards and security guards kind of. And they're actually making a show, I think. So we might end up talking about that. I'm excited to watch it anyway. In the series, Rose Hathaway and her friends actually try to convince the Maroi to use their magic to fight for themselves because that's considered like gauche or something like they don't use their magic for self-defense but as the series continues they kind of convince them Roy that maybe that's not a smart decision and they should be protecting themselves with magic so then yeah they also that become... seems very weird yeah it's like very like we're aristocratic and we shouldn't have to like lower ourselves to protect ourselves with our magic it's considered like really what? yeah it's ridiculous and, and rose in the series and like even her friends who are Maroi are like this is stupid why are we not using this magic we have at our disposal to save ourselves? Like that is not a smart system. So <laughs> yeah, sometimes the status quo is not good, children. Sometimes it's not good. Fight against it. Mm-hmm. But in that case, the Maroi become vampires who also fight vampires as well. Oh, yeah. All right, then. So next we have Vampire Hunter D. Dee is a Dampir, the half-breed child of a vampire father and human mother in a post-apocalyptic world where the power struggle of the old guard, nobility, aka the vampires, and their hellish supernatural counterparts and creations versus the ever-rising human society. Dee is renowned for his consummate skill and unearthly grace, but feared and despised for his mixed lineage, born of both races but belonging to neither. Often underestimated by his opponents, D possesses surprising power and resourcefulness, having most of the strengths of the nobility and only mild levels of their common weaknesses. Unlike most Dampiers, D is able to live as a quote-unquote normal human. However, he is marked by his unearthly beauty and exceptionally powerful aura, and thus is rarely accepted by human settlements. <laughs> That's so funny. Like what a, what a curse, quote unquote. You're too I know, right? Well, well, the aura, the aura is actually like, it can blind. Yeah. Like, it, like yeah, it's, it's, it can be, it can be turned into a weapon. For sure. No, it's just kind of a funny statement. Like, oh, but the beauty. I, yeah, I'm I too know. pretty and charismatic to live I'm, among normal people. <laughs> I know. In terms of weaknesses, he is randomly susceptible to sunsickness about once every five years. So far less than regular Dampiers. D is also the host for a sentient symbiote with a human face residing in his left palm. But that's neither here nor there. I just wanted to mention it because Vampire Hunter D exists in this weird Venn diagram of genres, including Western, sci-fi, horror, and dark fantasy. Yeah, I've seen one Vampire Hunter D movie, I think. And I think that's it. And I know there's more stuff out there with him, but I've only seen one. Yeah. And these are novels. Like, these are actually Japanese novels. They're not manga. Okay. Look, yeah. So they started as novels and then, you know, gradually branched out into, like, other media. Yeah. So they were adapted into anime. Into, like, OVAs and and specials. And I think that they've had a series since. And I wouldn't mind watching it. Because, yeah, I've only ever seen the original Vampire Hunter D in the 80s and then the Bloodlust in, like, 2000 okay. which was a big deal it came out yeah i think i saw I was, that one at ax or I was something gonna, yeah i was just gonna say i think that's the one that you saw yeah that would make because they did a huge screening of it and i think amino was there that would that would make sense yeah the uh the art director yeah it's kind of like the slayers anime is based on books not manga although i think mm-hmm. there is manga oh now. i didn't know that yeah the books are really funny i read a couple translations they're very like 
funny fantasy like and obviously it's kind of satirical fantasy because it's right silly just like the anime which that's one of my favorite animes of all time so yeah and vampire hunter d is yeah it's it's one of the it's one of those rare vampire stories that again like is not just straight horror or straight fantasy it's got yeah like a lot of sci-fi a lot of western like what i'm the description i'm giving is very bare bones yeah it actually sounds kind of like i mean not exactly like but it sounds like it has a lot in common with kind of the dresden files and harry dresden who is not a vampire but just the way the genre kind of mashes up a little bit maybe there's also a little bit that reminds me of i am legend okay i feel like i feel like i am legend might have influenced this because i am legend is you know, they got like their society of vampires and stuff. So, and it's like, yeah, like the lone man, that sort of thing. Next, we have Alucard from Castlevania. Adrian Fahrenheit Tepes. <laughs> that is a, that's an amazing name. It really it is. It is an amazing name. It is amazing. He's a fictional character in Konami's Castlevania series of video games. His first appearance in the series was in the 1989 game Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse. But he is best known for his role in the critically acclaimed Castlevania Symphony of the Night. In the series, Alucard is the son of Dracula, the antagonist of the Castlevania series. Due to his human mother, Lisa, Alucard is a dampier, a half-human, half-vampire. His mother's death and insistence not to hate humanity caused him to take up arms against his father. In Dracula's Curse and Castlevania Legends, he fights against his father alongside the vampire hunters of the Belmont clan, and he is featured as the protagonist of Symphony of the Night. Additionally, Alucard is present in Castlevania Aria of Sorrow and the follow-up sequel, Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow, where he interacts with the protagonist of both games, Soma Cruz, as the Japanese government agent Genya Arikado. <laughs> it's bizarro yeah castlevania lords of shadow mirror of fate introduces a reimagined alucard with a new backstory revealing him as trevor belmont once a mortal who was transformed into a vampire after his death at the hands of his biological father the remorseful dracula so i wanted to include alucard because like he is a character who can get reimagined with every iteration of the game mm -hmm. And he's he's just a big vampire figure, I think, in general, in the zeitgeist, you know? Yeah. And I've actually I've never played any of the Castlevania games, which me either. I've watched I've watched others play it and I've seen like clips of it, but I've never played it myself. Yeah, I just I should maybe try that. I don't know. It depends on how the gameplay is, because like sometimes games are just I my brain doesn't work that way and I just can't get through them or whatever or if it's yeah, just really I'm, hard I just give up because I'm like I don't want to do this 50 times and have to die 100 times to get through a level like no thank you yeah <laughs> I wouldn't mind trying the uh symphony of the night because I have heard really great things about that yeah you should do that on your twitch channel <laughs> I should I don't know if I can download that or not yeah i don't know either it's on steam <laughs> um and i think there is an anime of castlevania on netflix i believe there is there is an anime right i'm only talking about just the video game okay. but yes there is a castlevania anime because i have friends who occasionally like talk about it or post about it and I yes just haven't seen it, but i so. have not seen it so i don't know how like which iteration of castlevania the video game series that it's faithful to okay yeah or no if it's idea. its own thing I would not know. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, we have Blade, obviously. If you missed our last episode, it was all about the 1998 movie Blade. Eric Brooks' mother was attacked by a vampire while pregnant. Eric survived, becoming a half-vampire, half-human, with all their strength and none of their weaknesses, except bloodlust. He goes around killing vampires in part to avenge his mother and in part because they're monsters. Mm -hmm. And that's it in a nutshell. Please go listen to episode five. So I'm noticing a trend that a lot of these vampires who kill vampires tend to be dompiers or half vampires. Yeah. I mean, there are vampires who kill, obviously Angel kills vampires. We mentioned him in the Buffy section. And there are other vampires who kill vampires, but it is, it does seem like there is a trend of half vampires yeah. who hunt vampires because they have the ability, they have the strength and power to do it, I guess. And they know vampires exist, which is a real hurdle to becoming a vampire hunter. Like, if you don't know that's a real threat, 
you're not going to become a vampire hunter. Or if you don't have like resources, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it's much more difficult to be a human hunting because people think you're crazy unless it's like generally publicly known that vampires exist, like in the Sookie Stackhouse mysteries. So, you know, what you're saying is you don't want to start a vampire hunting company. No. Okay. All right. No, because once again, I'll shove that idea. Hashtag team. <laughs> I know me too. I'm not, I mean, I'm a vampire hunter and that I would love to hunt one down. I am a Daniel Malloy vampire hunter where I would love to find you. <laughs> but after I find you, I don't, you better turn. Me. I don't necessarily it's like, want that to become an like, antagonistic thing. Yeah. We're, we're <laughs> taking this more on in, in the sense of like hunting for a leprechaun and it's pot of gold. Right. Exactly. So like, we're like, show me the treasure, man. Yeah. The treasure of immortality. Yes. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so then we have monster hunters who kill vampires because vampires are monsters. So these are people who don't specifically hunt vampires, but will hunt vampires if they become a problem or run into the issue or just because they're also a monster. So they will hunt them down as well, just like they would a werewolf or a ghost or something else that's causing supernatural problems. Or if like you're a witcher and you just want that coin. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen the witcher, but I, I know about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there are some vampire hunters out there who are just driven by money. They're like, I don't Probably. care if you, pay, if you meet my fucking quote, I'll hunt anything you want. I mean, you know? Harry Dresden sort of just wants to get paid. I mean, that's not entirely his motivation at all, but he definitely puts out ads in the phone book and stuff because he's trying to drum <laughs> up business because he needs to pay rent. And yeah. That is a thing that happens. So actually, Harry Dresden is the first example of this. He is from the book series, The Dresden Files by Jim Butcher. And Harry is a wizard who works freelance and he helps people with all sorts of magical problems. So people who are having like witch curses or ghosts or whatever your problem may be. He also ends up fighting vampires and having to deal with vampires on a regular basis because they are part of the paranormal world. So in Harry's world, vampires come in three flavors. There's the white court who are energy vampires and they operate like succubi and incubi. Sexy. Well... Suppose, I mean, yes. Yeah, that's that's the thing is that that's what they do. So they're the white court and they're all very pretty, of course. And of yeah, course. that's their thing. So they get energy from people generally through sexual relations. And this can kill people depending on how much energy they take. So, and a lot of them do, they are quote unquote evil because they are killing people. There's the red court who disguise themselves as human, but their true form is actually this flabby bat-like thing so they are not, they kind of disguise themselves as human, but if you get them to reveal their true form, they're like these weird, greasy, flabby bat things. And then there's the black court, and these are traditional vampires, i.e. undead humans who prey on other humans for blood. So those are the three types of vampires in Harry Dresden's world. Of vampire allies, Harry actually has an ally named Thomas, who is a white court vampire. And it actually turns out that Thomas is Harry's half-brother as well. So, Aww. spoiler, but... <laughs> It's, it's a good series. It's really fun urban fantasy. I have really enjoyed it. Is it funny? It sounds funny. It is very, very funny. There are some very funny points. I mean, it did start a long time ago. So some of the stuff in there is probably like, mm, now if I read it, it'd probably Cringe. be like a little bit sure. deep. But um, it is very funny and it was a fun read. And I don't know if there's actually going to be any more of them. I'd have to check. James Marsters does the audiobook, though. So oh. if you want to listen to those, he does a really good read on Harry too. I really like his, his Harry Dresden. So if you're interested in that, that's a really good audio series to pick up because then you've got James Marsters and Harry Dresden. So yay. Oh, that sounds that I, I think like if, if I was going to then pick this up, I think I would do that. Yeah. I do the audio. I really enjoy I the audio books and James Marsters does a really good job. There is one book where he wasn't able to do it. And so they had someone fill in and it was kind of the book where Harry was out of sorts and was kind of weird. So it kind of made sense to have a different voice, but people hated it so much that I think they re-recorded it with James Marsters when he had time. So you can oh, now okay. get all of them with him <laughs> as Harry. And yeah, it's, it's a very solid series if you're looking for something to listen to or something to read, you can read them too. I just, I tend to prefer the audio for that one. So I have a question. Sure. Since the red court, right? Like they 
they're they're in disguise, right? But the black court, the, so they're undead humans preying on mm-hmm. humans for blood. So are they still pretty or are they like revenants, you know? Yeah. Like are they ghouls? I don't think they're super pretty unless they were super pretty in life. It's just like they're undead people okay. and they're kind of like not zombie-like, but you know, they're probably not gorgeous looking. They're not alluring like the white court. They're just undead people who are gonna be biting on necks. I get you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're definitely not a romantic vampire. Although some people think they're romantic vampires and search them out and stuff, which. Sure. And then learn. Same with the red court. Like they think, oh, it's beautiful vampires. And then they turn into these flabby bat things. And it's like, "Mm, not Mm. so pretty now. I mean, unless that's that's your thing. I mean, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Just like, it's like, you know, weird, gross, greasy. Like, I don't. We're not here to king shame. No, I mean, if that's your thing, you do you. You do you, do you, you monster fucker. Um. So it's all good. <laughs> they're, they're also really mean and murderous. So I don't know. But again, if that's your thing, I'm not I'm not here to here to say no. You do what makes you happy. Yeah. And then, of course, we have Sam and Dean Winchester from Supernatural, which <sighs> I have unfortunately gotten very sucked back into. It's my life. You. God help oh. me. God help me. I'm on season 11. It's just getting ridiculous, but I, I can't stop. I'm getting ridiculous. I'm really invested in Castiel, who keeps getting his butt kicked. The series does not like that poor angel, and I am not here for them. Not being he's me. queer friendly. <laughs> oh, poor Cass, I love him so much. Anyway, if for some reason you don't know, Sam and Dean are hunters who travel around the country investigating weird deaths and strange phenomenon. They hunt ghosts, demons, monsters of any kind, anything weird. They're always searching the news looking for like suspicious deaths or weird stuff. And then they go to the town and pretend to be FBI agents and figure out what's going on and kill the monster. So of course they also hunt vampires and vampires in the supernatural world are undead humans turned by the bite of a vampire, just like most vampires. Their fangs are these needle-like teeth that fill their whole mouths. So they've got like shark mouths full of like needle teeth. Yeah. And they have a powerful bloodlust and they often live in groups called nests. So they'll go clean out like a nest of vampires because they're all living in the house together. In terms of vampire allies, they actually do have one or Dean has one. He meets a vampire named Benny when he's in purgatory. Benny had fallen in love with a human and decided not to kill anymore. So he was killed by his vampire nest for being like a traitor or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's in purgatory with Dean. So he, Dean and Castiel try to get out of purgatory. Dean and Benny make it. Of course, Cass doesn't because everything has to be harder for that poor, poor guy. (laughs) Poor Castiel. Hashtag poor Castiel. Anyway, Dean brings him out of purgatory, like with his soul in Dean's body and digs up Benny's corpse and gets his soul back in there and revives him and then lets Benny go on his way, which is kind of, I mean... The morality in Supernatural is similar to Buffy, whereas like if you kill people, you're evil, you have to die kind of thing. Very mm-hmm. black and white. But Dean has obviously become friends with Benny. And so he lets him live. This is contentious with Sam, who doesn't think they should just let a vampire go off and do whatever. Benny actually does try to be very good. And eventually, Dean asks Benny to go back into purgatory to rescue Sam, which Benny does. And Benny actually sacrifices himself to let Sam escape purgatory. So ends up being Aww. a very good ally. Benny is. Oh, justice for Benny. <laughs> He's a good guy. At least, you know, the latter half of his life, probably not the earlier half where he was a murderous vampire. But hey, you do what you got to do. Again, we're not against murderous vampires on this podcast. So. No. <laughs> And of course, I think I mentioned this last episode, Dean briefly becomes a vampire in the season six episode, Live Free or Twy Hard, when he's bitten. There is a cure for vampirism, but only if you don't drink any blood after you've been turned. So Dean successfully manages to resist the urge to drink blood and gets turned back at the end of the episode. So he is not a vampire for very long. I'm going to regret asking you this. Why is purgatory such a big thing in Supernatural? And why do these boys keep ending up there? (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because I just watched the episode. They like in season 10, they, the end of season 10, they killed death. And then Sam meets a reaper who's like, yeah, death thought it was funny that you guys kept coming back. Now that you've killed him, we're not letting that happen anymore. So uh, you better not die. 
it's I think because they just the Winchesters keep dying. They get sucked into hell. They get pulled out of hell. They you know, they're saving the world and saving the world is a very hard thing to do while you survive it. Like it's not easy. Okay. And so they end up in purgatory because, well, they end up in purgatory for various reasons. Sam ends up in purgatory because he has to go through purgatory to get to, I think it's the ghost of Bobby Singer to get. So they're just, <laughs> it's just one of those shows where they're constantly like dying and coming back or ending up in purgatory okay. or getting okay. sucked into it's hell. Like, it's like a trope. Well, it's okay. like the end of the season, you know, the season finale, they have to beat the big bad, but the only way to beat the big bad is to jump into the hole with the evil creature or I, Dean kills the Leviathan and gets sucked into purgatory with the Leviathan because the, everything around them, Dean and Cass both get sucked in. And so mm. then they have to escape. So yeah, it's just one of those things. That show is very much like it's very soap operatic, which is not a bad thing, but it's very much like <laughs> this person. I mean, they, Cass has I, died I hope they ha- five times. I, I hope they have like little, little, like kind of like rewards card. Right. Like, like a you punch know, card. You should like a punch card. Right? Yeah. I mean, you know, they you, should. You, you ride, you get to purgatory and your eighth visit is just like, we just spit you right back out. You don't even have to like fight. It's just like, you know, we just kick you back. Yeah. You're like, oh, up, oh, you got your bonus ride. Okay. I here mean, you go. You would hope at this point, really. But yeah. unfortunately, I don't think it works that way. All right. Anyway, they also kill vampires. That's a thing the Winchesters do. Okay. Or any Good hunter enough. in that world actually will hunt vampires. Then there's Anita Blake from Laura K. Hamilton's Anita Blake Vampire Hunter series, which I know was a very popular urban fantasy series. I believe it was around the same time as Harry Dresden. It might not have been, but um I was going to say like 20-ish plus years ago. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah. I have never actually read it because by the time I was interested in that kind of stuff, I had heard how the later books went and just didn't want to get invested in it. Mm. But Anita works as an animator, so she brings people back to life to question them for like legal criminal investigation reasons. So kind of like the pie maker in Pushing Daisies, bring people back to find out how they were murdered or something, I'm assuming. Yeah. And her powers in that area apparently give her some control over the undead, such as vampires. Since it's called Anita Blake Vampire Hunter, I'm assuming she hunts, kills vampires at some point. I know she gets romantically entangled with some also, so I don't exactly know how that works. I know that the series starts as kind of traditional urban fantasy and then becomes a lot more paranormal romance and about her relationships and stuff more than the urban fantasy mysteries, or at least that's what I've heard. Again, I haven't read it. So if that is incorrect, I apologize. And I just felt she warranted a mention because she is a really popular absolutely urban fantasy figure. And it is called Anita Blake Vampire Hunter. So it felt like I couldn't really leave that out. And then Kolchak from Kolchak the Night Stalker arguably fits this category as well. Kolchak is a journalist who discovers a series of murders in Las Vegas is being perpetrated by a vampire in the TV movie The Night Stalker. No one believes him until he hunts down and stakes the vampire. And of course, as soon as he stakes the vampire, police walk in and he's like standing over the body of the vampire with a stake in his hand. At that point, he's run out of town to avoid being charged with murder. Although the authorities do seem to know what's going on as they burn all the bodies and realize that these were vampire killings. Mm. And in the TV show, Kolchak the Night Stalker, Kolchak faces yet another vampire, this time in Los Angeles. He is a journalist who keeps stumbling across supernatural happenings. So he's not actively hunting vampires, but he's trying to report on weird murders and stuff that keep happening. And vampires just happen to come up a couple times. Okay. I do. I do love. And you, you have been watching that. Yeah. So for my X-Files podcast on our Patreon, we are going to start releasing episodes about the Kolchak TV show pretty soon we've done the two tv movies and so those two tv movies are over on there so if you're interested in that i will put a link to the x-files podcast stuff in the show notes in case you want to check that out if you want to hear me talk more about supernatural we also did an episode for thanksgiving as a special that's on our regular feed that you can listen to for free where we did the episode scooby natural where supernatural did their scooby-doo crossover and that was really fun very cool that's why i got sucked back into supernatural so (laughs) It was really fun. Also, it's kind of ruined my life, just like vampires have. So thanks. There you go. Thanks, Winchesters. I will not do Supernatural Ruin My Life, the podcast. No, it's okay. (laughs) 
That's okay. I think vampires have done enough damage that we have enough enough to yep. cover for a while. <laughs> oh yeah. So our next category is whoops. Guess I'm a vampire hunter. Oops. Uh, I hate when that happens. I know. Typically, the characters in this category have some previous knowledge concerning vampires. The whether they are pro-vampire or just curious in the name of science varies from character to character. Their expertise is either sought after or comes into action during a pivotal moment of the story. And I'm sure everyone's been wondering when this guy is going to be mentioned, but the vampire hunter of all vampire hunters, Professor Abraham Van Helsing, mm-hmm. the OG vampire hunter from the 1897 gothic horror novel Dracula. Yep. He's an aged polymath Dutch doctor with a wide range of interests and accomplishments, partly attested by the string of letters that follows his name. He has lots of experience. Yeah. So that indicates a wealth of experience, education, and expertise. The character is best known through many adaptations of the story as a vampire hunter and the arch enemy of Count Dracula. So adaptations of the novel have tended to play up Van Helsing's role as a vampire expert sometimes to the extent that it is depicted as his major occupation. But in the original novel, Dr. Seward requests Van Helsing's assistance simply because Lucy's affliction has him baffled, and Van Helsing is a big old smarty pants. So he wasn't ever sought after because of, oh, vampire stuff. Mm -hmm. It was just more like, I don't know what's wrong with my girlfriend, you know? This woman is sick. Please help (laughs) This woman is sick. I love her. Even though she totally is going to choose my buddy Arthur, and she did, but you know, yeah, it is funny how the characters in Dracula have taken on such different cultural significance than yeah. they had in the original novel. Than they had from their original, like, yeah, they have evolved way past their material, and I think honestly. Of all the characters from Dracula, Van Helsing is the one who has drifted the most mm-hmm. away from his his originator. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think Dracula's drifted a bit, but not really. Dracula has definitely had many, many adaptations of the character himself, but like because the original Dracula, as written by Bram Stoker, didn't have a whole lot of details. Mm-hmm of his character backstory and his motivations and his thought process and stuff, it's easy to fill in the gaps. Whereas Van Helsing, I mean, he was just like this big old Dutch smarty pants and who just happened to use his knowledge to deduce that it's a vampire. Mm -hmm. He's not like a vampire hunter. Mm -hmm. But now when you say Van Helsing, everyone thinks vampire hunter, vampire slayer. So yeah, it has changed a lot. Right. Based on adaptations. So it's so fascinating how that happens. It really is. So, yeah. So notable Van Helsing portrayals include Peter Cushing in the Hammer Horror House Dracula films, Hugh Jackman in the 2004 action horror film Van Helsing, Mel Brooks in Dracula, Dead and Loving It. Love that one. (laughs) Wallace Shawn in Vamps and David Warner in Penny Dreadful. Nice. Next, we have Guillermo de la Cruz. From What We Do in the Shadows, the TV series. Late in season one, Guillermo the Human Familiar discovers that he is the descendant of the famous vampire hunter Abraham Van Helsing, and he proves to be very adept at killing vampires, giving him conflicting feelings about his desire to become a vampire. Guillermo's skill as a vampire slayer leads him to becoming a bodyguard for Nandor, Nadia, and Laszlo at the beginning of season three. Yeah, I love Guillermo so much. Like, I, I think love he is Guillermo. Such great. First of all, I just love his motivation. Like, I think working for a vampire, to come, of course, like I would do the same of thing. Course. Yeah, I would have. And it's funny that he lists like Armand as someone that he saw yeah, in, our, in vampire our, media and was yeah, like, and it's I not need Armand, to like the book Armand. Like, it was very, very specifically Antonio Armand Banderas. Played by Antonio Banderas mm-hmm. because it was the first time he had ever seen a Latin vampire. Uh huh. 
And so it was important representation for him. It was. And it's just funny because he definitely has some Daniel Malloy energy going on with the whole, oh, like, oh, I want to completely. Be <laughs> so, I mean, I really, of course, I have a special place in my heart for Mr. Malloy. So, of course, I love Guillermo. And I think Guillermo is well, really great. And I think what I do have to say, Nandor definitely does have big Armand energy in the fact that he is dumb as bricks and pretty. Uh, I wouldn't say Armand <laughs> is dumb. Let's not be mean. <laughs> I mean, dumb about like, I mean, Armand can be emotionally stupid, but he's a pretty intelligent guy. Let's not, no, 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 no. but you're talking <laughs> to like, I'm talking more about like creepy paper. <laughs> like, well, okay. Look, the guy child, childlike wonderment there, at the modern world. How about that? Yeah, okay. That's fair. Very fair. There you go. But I do think it's funny that like Guillermo doesn't, the only reason he kills vampires is like at first it's just like self-defense like he accidentally kills a vampire who's attacking him yes. by impaling them because he's being threatened he doesn't try to kill them it just happens Mm-mm, just happens and then he ends up becoming a vampire hunter because all these vampire killers are coming after nandor and laszlo and nadia because they defied the vampire council so all these vampire assassins are coming after them and they don't even know it and you no. is just killing them Garamo's just taking care of them has, and they are none the wiser no for a long idea. time. It's so great. It's so great. So what we do in the shadows is just so brilliant. It's so funny. I love it. So very yeah. To be D for a future episode. Yeah. Oh, we are definitely going to cover that because it's just, I mean, first there's the movie, which is amazing too. And I love mm. mockumentaries. I love vampires. It hits all my buttons. Yeah. And lastly, we have the Frog Brothers from the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. We talked about them at large in our Lost Boys episode, so you can go back and listen to that. But Edgar and Alan Frog are brothers who work at their parents' comic book shop and warn newcomer Sam Emerson of the infestation of vampires that dwell in Santa Carla. They help Sam and his half-vampire brother Michael defeat the titular Lost Boys. Indeed. Indeed. But yeah, definitely go back and listen to our Lost Boys episode for a way more in-depth character analysis of the Frog Brothers because they are not to be missed. No, they're not. So, so Tori, what is your favorite type of vampire hunter slash slayer? I mean, I don't know that I have a favorite type. I do think we've talked about this a little in our first episode, but I do tend to be very team vampire, as I know you do as well. So it's... I don't tend to love vampire hunters as much because I'm like, no, I'm on I'm on the vampire side over here. Let's let's not kill them. But obviously, I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That has a very special place in my life. And that show was amazing. I, I think I really like the monster hunters who are hunting vampires because like they tend to be just hunting supernatural threats of all kinds. And so they're not specifically hunting vampires down. And if the vampire is quote unquote, a friendly neighborhood vampire or something, you know, maybe won't get killed by them because they can help out or be an ally or something. Right. I also really enjoy like, I think there's a place for the vengeful vampire hunter because it just creates conflict for the vampire. I don't necessarily root for those people because it just obviously depends. But I think that that does create some good conflict in vampire stories. And so I think there's a good place for them to exist because obviously if you're murdering people yeah. you're going to create enemies and you're going to make your own bed a little on that score so yeah i'm i'm more about like again like how you and i would define it or or accept a vampire hunter kind of like in the vampire chronicles how the telemasca society like their organization was it's more like just studying them from afar mm-hmm. initially obviously they get entangled with them but eventually, but, you know, initially they were just studying them yeah. from afar and writing notes and such. That's and that's, I think, I think that's the thing that I really love about like, the, I think that's the Talamasca like. or societies like that is that you study these things from afar and eventually you're going to get sucked in, right? You can't mm-hmm. necessarily keep your distance forever because you're eventually going to have to make some kind of moral decision or some kind of decision about getting involved in some way, whether it's on the side of the supernatural creatures or the side of the people that they are hunting, you're going to have to make that call. And so I don't think you can keep sitting on the fence forever. Some people obviously can, but I think in a lot of cases you can't. So I think those kind of societies that try and be like, we're just watching from afar, always in some way, someone's going to get corrupted and get sucked in because you just can't stare at things. Well, either that or depending on the vampire, they might need your help. Yep. You know, very true. 
Yeah, I I'm a I'm a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Yes. So I really love like I root for her actively. Like mm-hmm. the, the, those are vampires I don't root for right. in that, yeah. you know, in that film. Obviously with a show you can expand and make sympathetic characters of which I only like two of the vampires. So there you go. Is that Spike I and like- Drew? It is Spike and Drew. Those are the only vampires I give a damn oh, about. I love Angel too. I know. I don't know. Maybe that's not the cool, the cool opinion. But I freaking love Angel. No, most most fans I know really love Angel, and um, I just it's I he's I, such a he can be such a dork, and I just I don't know. I really appreciate him as a character, and he makes me happy. So yeah, I just never I never clicked with with that character. So totally fair. Which yeah, it's fine. But yeah, otherwise, not really rooting for anyone. I mean, in the in Lost Boys, I do root for them. Right, of course. Lost Boys and Blade, right? Like, I, I absolutely rooted for the vampire hunters. And those are like the rare exceptions where I'm like, yeah, like, even though I really like the vampires of the Lost Boys, and I'm like, I could I could enjoy either outcome of this, right? Um, like, I go, I can root for you to kill them, okay, or I can root for the actual Lost Boys and them to win. And I'm like, I, I go, the only winner in this situation is me, because <laughs> I'm going to be happy no matter what, <laughs> because everybody's just such a really good character. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think we discussed this when we talked about the Lost Boys. We've discussed this before. We'll probably discuss it again, because it's one of those things that's going to keep coming up. I think it mm-hmm. really just depends on the world, right? Like in Morgan. Yeah, Hill, yeah, Absolutely. In Morganville, you don't start out rooting for vampires because you're rooting for these humans who are trying to survive in this vampire town. But as you get to know some of the vampires, you do start rooting for some of those vampires and you realize that maybe someone who's going to come around and just kill vampires, regardless of who they are or whatever, is not good. Like Frank is not a good guy in that book. Mm. And obviously Mm. Michael becomes a vampire. So you're obviously on team Michael. And he's not an evil vampire. Yeah, yeah. And so I think it just depends on the world. Like sometimes if the vampires are just creepy, evil, blood-sucking parasites who look like weird rubber bats in people suits that are just trying to lure you in so they can murderize you, maybe you're not going to root for them. You're going to want or Or, or to they're like your all. Deacon Frost and they're just, <laughs> they're just a douchebag. Fucking- they're, yeah, and they're just fucking douchebags, and you're just like, you need to be stopped, motherfucker. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, and then you have Blade, and you're like, good. Yeah. You know? But again, you're right. I think, um, I think we're, we seem to both be like maybe a little bit more on the fence or in the neutral territory when it's a Dompier situation, mm-hmm. because even D, Vampire Hunter D, I'm rooting for D. Yeah. Like I'm rooting for you. Hu- I'm actually, I'm actively rooting for human society and D and a place for D and and people like him. Like you are not rooting for nobility. They they are not sympathetic at all. Right. In that series. So so yeah, more power to him, you know, for the slaughter. And then in Guillermo's case, it's like, you know, you we love the vampires that he protects. And it's out of love and protection of him, even though it kills him to kill these vampires. <laughs> because he wants to be one, but you know, he's also not gonna just sit there and let other vampires destroy his very ungrateful vampire family yeah oh 100 <laughs> well and like if they died he wouldn't have a chance because these vampire assassins aren't going to give a shit right. about some human familiar that's like working for right, they, right. they're not going to care so like i mean it's not that he doesn't care about them he absolutely does and he is protecting them but oh, oh absolutely. there's also some self-preservation in there because if they get in there and murderize everyone in the house Guillermo's going to be on that list too. They're not going to be like, oh yeah, let's let this guy go or let's right. turn this guy into a vampire because he let us murderize his family. They don't, they're not going to do that. I mean, to be honest, to me, the logical step, I mean, we'll get into this more, would be to make Guillermo a vampire because I think, you know, he's just too dangerous being a human. Well, but then Nandor would have to have two brain cells working at the same time. And that doesn't seem to be his strong suit, does it? <laughs> Because no. if he, what a himbo! Oh, geez. and Lazlo is just too worried about God only knows what. So I don't even know. I think Nadia could figure it out, but she's distracted. So, yeah, she's distracted <laughs> right now. Oh, geez. Anyway, I guess <laughs> we are we are very much team vampire, but I think we both understand that sometimes in some stories the vampire slayer is going to be the hero, and we're cool with that. You know, we're not anti-murdering vampires. It just depends on the situation. Yeah. 
but we still love you vampires even though you ruined our lives yeah still care about you because that's how we roll <laughs> so this episode's vampire question is who is your favorite vampire slayer let us know on twitter or instagram thanks for joining us for this discussion of vampire hunters and vampire slayers it's been fun we hope you've enjoyed it too this is Tori and Chell wishing you a fangtabulous evening with vampire wishes and batty nightmares. Your hostesses through the everlasting darkness have been Tori and Chell. Our music is mixed by Vic Raw the Never Living and includes Dark Halloween Night by Chase Allen Willis and Takata and Fugue in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach and performed by Kevin McLeod. Find us at anchor.com slash vampires ruined my life or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm going to hit stop recording. Oh, okay. I'll hit stop recording too. How do I stop recording? <laughs>